happy mid-December day! Fa-la-la-la-la-la, everyone. Everyone, fa-la-la-la-la-la, everyone. <laughs> Let us know you're out there. Press like, leave us a comment, or send us up a prayer request. Did you know that at Echo, you could and should be your place, your people, and your purpose all in one space. It's beautiful. Wow, sure is. We encourage you to take the first steps into life-giving local church and find the community and the support that you have been hoping for. Stop by at Mayo High School for one of our services at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. on Sundays. We would love to meet you. Make a tradition with us, Christmas Eve and Sweatpants Sunday. Woo! Supposedly Christmas Eve is on December 24th, is that correct? It's weird, I don't oh, know. Okay. This is a very special family service that we all are looking forward to every year. Join us for one of our three services at either 1.30, 3, or 4.30. How about Sweatpants Sunday? It is how we are kicking off the new year. We are having one service only in person that day at 10 a.m. It'll be amazing to mm. be in one room together. So here's the deal. Sleep in, roll out of bed, brush your teeth. Or don't. Or don't. Put on your sweatpants and a beanie and join us. Mm. As you have heard, Pastor Andy and Christy had the audacious goal of raising 100K by the end of the month. We're Believe almost it or not, halfway there. Yeah, we're almost halfway there. Would you help make this happen today? Would you give generously today above and beyond your tithe for a one-time end-of-year donation to help Echo finish strong? If you would like to give, head to our website or Venmo us at at We Are The Echo Church. Enjoy Echo, Echo Online, online service. service. High five! Yes! Make me what I'm meant to be I'm yours, I surrender completely Reshape my Call out what's already alive in me You don't need me, but you want me How you love is so broken I'm not worthy, but I'm willing And my heart responds not to have I say yes to what you promised Amen to the word you've spoken I say yes to what I can't imagine I say yes to what I say yes I say yes
place. Who says yes this morning? I know when God calls me, I want to say yes, Lord. I will go where you tell me to go, Father. Oh
Father, thank you so much for revealing yourself to us, Lord, for knowing your goodness, Lord. And Lord, since you have blessed me so much in my life, Lord, and knowing you, Father, I just want to pray over your people this morning. Lord, I want to sing this song over them and bless them, Lord, and their families, Lord, that they would know your goodness and they would know who you are, Jesus. Come on, sing this with me.
not enough words for how good God is. But I do know that no matter what we walk in here with, with no matter what we're feeling or sensing in this place, that God is for you. No matter the circumstance, no matter the trial, God is still for you. He is with you. So God, in this moment, we sense your presence around us. God, the tangibility of your presence is here. And this morning, we just simply reach out to you. God, we reach out to you and we ask for the breakthrough that we've been asking for.
God, we lay all things aside. We lay our fear aside, the fear that seems to cripple us and lives within us. God, we give it to you this morning, God. God, and we simply believe this morning that you are going to break through in Jesus' name. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your mighty hand on our life in the wonder-working power that is still alive today in this church and in this place. And in Jesus' name, can we lift up an amen in this place? Come on, let's give God some praise. He is good. He is worthy. This is it, man. Jesus and George, why, why does he have to talk about money so much? And you're thinking the same thing about me now. So this is it, promise. We're done, we're done, we're done. Um, in 2010, uh, Tyler Jewell was, it was hoping to reach the podium in the Vancouver 2010 Olympics. And he did whatever he could do to achieve gold in attempts to uh, afford his dream because he just squeezed on to the men's Olympic team, the very last snowboarder, which, by the way, he competed in snowboarding slalom. Uh, he ended up doing whatever it took to get there. And in fact, it's, it is uh, in an article, he talks about how he even sold sausages at the state fair in New Mexico to save up for the gold. The goal at hand. And in fact, if you kind of dig a little deeper, you find out that he lived in his car uh, at Mount Hood in Oregon. And then he also tented in Steamboat Springs in Colorado just so he could, listen, just so he could be close to other riders and other coaches that might help him train. Every night, this is what he says, I would watch the stars and the sunset go and I'd go to bed early and then I'd wake up and I'd train and then I would go to the public library. I don't know why, probably to warm up. And then he said this, I, I even ate at the local hospital for $2.50 a day. In fact, he goes, the meals and the food was really good. Uh, let's hear it for the Mayo Clinic cafeteria, baby. Come on. He said it's difficult to have a full-time job while training sessions would run five hours plus per day. He made it. Tyler Jewell made it to the Vancouver Olympics. He competed and he placed 13th place. Sit a little bit. He sold sausages at the New Mexico Fair and he placed 13th. Let's open our Bible up to Matthew chapter 13. You like how that works? The kingdom of heaven, this is verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, in his joy, he went, he sold all that he had and he bought the field. Short verse, let me read that again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When the man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had bought or all he had to buy the field. Now, most likely this man was just a day laborer. 
He could have been sitting in the marketplace when the, when the farmer came to, 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 to hire a couple extra hands to work the field. And so he is on the lower echelon of society. He's working day in and day out, and his life is hard. But this one particular day, he's digging, or he, he might be reaping, whatever it might be, and he happens to stumble upon a treasure, how many of you know that if you were that guy and you stumbled upon that thing, you first would look and say, who saw me find this? And he probably acted kind of cool. If he was anything like me, he was a horrible actor. Needless to say, he put it back down into the ground and he knew the value. So he went and he sold everything he had to buy the field. I mean, that's an inspiring story. I mean, that is, that's really cool. And, and, and you know what? This was an accidental find. I mean, I think that's what we all would hope at some point in life, we would all just stumble upon a windfall or, or, or a certain uh, uh, maybe critical edge of, of this breakthrough within our wealth or our own finances. I mean, I think we would hope to, to be that guy at some point. But what I've noticed here is this, although it was an accidental find, it was a very intentional risk that he took. And I was just thinking, a couple weeks ago, we did something really cool. And, and I am so proud of Echo Church because we did it again. We did build the box. And I think it's just one of the coolest things that we do. And, and I know that I've said this before, but, but just to kind of get the point across uh, and to remind you is a couple years ago when we could not meet at Willow Creek Middle School, we accidentally stumbled upon this idea called build a bag. Is the stuff, these bags full of people to help, uh, or, uh, stuff the bags full of people. Did I just say that? <laughs> Did I? <laughs> oh, let's start over. Stuff bags with food to give to people. And we did that, and it was just really an awesome time. And then we did it again. And then this time, again, we couldn't meet on this stage. So what did we do? We decided to risk it. Because we found a treasure in Build-A-Bag. And what we did this time was this intentional risk to make a difference in this city. And I'm so proud of you uh, for participating. And I thought it would just be a, a great moment just to pause and celebrate what we did just a few weeks ago. The 5,000 plus, they all ate. And then afterwards, they collected 12 basketfuls. What I know about the story is this, is Jesus right after that, he says, hey, you know what, disciples? Jump into the boat and cross the lake. Does anybody know what happened that night? A storm arose. You know what I think happened to the, to the bread that day? If the, the disciples kept it and it went into the boat with them, guess what happened? It became soggy and soaked fish food or seagull food. You know what that is? It's called waste. I, I think if we get stuck into this idea of keeping everything we have, what we end up doing is wasting it instead of giving it. And what I love about that type of message today is this, is we are doing exactly what God has called us to do. It doesn't matter how little we have or how much we have, we are saying, Lord, use it for your kingdom and would you do something good through it? Can I hear an amen? I mean, we get to live it today. We're gonna give 210 basketfuls of food that aren't just like, like, hey, 
Hey, this isn't just green beans, you know what I'm saying? This isn't just rice. We leaned into Mr. Pizza South and we said, you get to have the best pizza in town. You know what I'm saying? We leaned into the best popcorn in town and, and we're giving away Seamus corn. I mean, Carol's corn. And we're not just given, you know, the second rate, we're given the best. And that's because that's who God has called us to be. And we just say, thank you today that you use us. That you've chosen us to be your vessel. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, come on, let's celebrate. You did that. You did that. Your beautiful faces were on that screen and so many hands doing so many cool things. I mean, there were, I, if you couldn't tell, I, I, I edited, well, you can't tell that I edited the video. You might assume I did, but I just love the pictures of your little kids carrying the little boxes. You know what I'm saying? Like, what a cool, awesome moment. The, the other thing that if you didn't notice in that video is, number one, I've been trying to convince Seamus to change his name of his popcorn shop. He just hasn't yet. Uh, and, uh, and I do hate green beans. If there are any counselors out there that can help me with that deeper issue, I would, I would be open to your perspective. Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's continue on the scripture. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. So this is in the next verses. It's a little different, but very similar. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, everybody say value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, what I need you to see is this, is the first iteration of this type of story was a farmer. It was, or a potential day laborer, okay? He's at the, this level of wealth. He's at this level of society. But yet, Jesus shares another iteration of this where we talk about a man who might be at this level, who is financially well off, who financially can kind of carry his own. And it doesn't matter how much you have, if it's little or much, Jesus has a message for you. And what's interesting is this, is, 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 and again, this is just my opinion, but, but I kind of wonder if it's the same man. I wonder if Jesus intended it to be the same man, that, that at some point this, this, this day laborer found this treasure and what he ended up doing is he went home and he sold everything. Which, by the way, we don't have any idea of how long that took. Okay, we, if you're anything like me, you read that story, you just assume that it happened overnight and the next day he owns a bunch of, he owns a field. I'd like to think that actually it might have taken years. It might have taken months. It, it, might, have, might, have, it might have taken decades for him to go ahead and purchase the field. But on the flip side, maybe quite possibly in these two stories, Jesus intended to, to do those back to back because maybe this at one point he was a day laborer, but because of the risk he took, he became a merchant. And now knowing that there are certain treasures to be found, he is now doing it as a lifestyle. It was accidental risk that meant or, or met intentional risk. I think that's what these stories are about, is, 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 is it's a perspective understanding. It's, it's, it's an understanding of value. It's an understanding of how to manage risk and the feelings that go 
with it. I just want to tell you this, as a lot of us would like to just see that financial change, like that, that really like hard line quick, I'm at the edge of a cliff and I'm going to jump and after I get to the bottom of it, man, I am on a different financial wavelength. And, and I would just say this, is I don't want to challenge that for many of us, if not all of us, like, like that doesn't happen. And it, I don't think it happened in this story where the man snapped his finger and then all of a sudden he purchased even the pearl of great worth. It might have taken a while. I mean, I hope he really hit it well. And I hope he made the effort to get to his dream. See, I believe the man, the merchant, who found the great, uh, great pearl of great worth is this, is that he had a pursuit and a purposeful search. That he was, he was willing to make an intentional risk. And with intentional risk, there would require a specific amount of change. So I have five questions for you today. You might write these down if you can. They're not going to be on the screen. So you have to stick up with me here is this. The first question is this is, have you found Jesus? In the kingdom of heaven... There is a pearl of great worth, and his name is Jesus. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. I am so thankful that I met Jesus. Have you found Jesus? Second question is this, is have you stumbled upon the value? Everybody say value of the kingdom of God. See, when you meet Jesus, you begin to understand the value of his kingdom and how his kingdom works. When I met Jesus and I started following Jesus, I began to take upon myself the things that Jesus valued. Have you stumbled upon the value of the kingdom of God? Now, the third question is kind of a maybe spin-off, maybe a, maybe a side little uh, side kind of side gig here a little bit, but which kingdom are you searching for? If you have not found Jesus and you don't understand the value of the kingdom of God yet, what kingdom are you searching for? And, and maybe if you found Jesus, and yes, you kind of understand the value of the kingdom of God and what he's done in your life, is this, is what kingdom are you searching in? There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of man. Which leads me into this question, what are you risking for that kingdom? What have you risked in that kingdom? And the fifth question is this, is what would stop you from doing what these men did in this story? What would stop you from risking it like these men did in these stories? What would you risk? What would stop you from risking and what I want to do is I want to answer that last question. I'm going to say it like this. The four-letter word to risk is fear. Y'all get what I'm saying there? We've all risked something. We've all walked through a certain level of risk. And if there's anything that's ever going to get in, be in between risk and reality, it is going to be fear. I, I like the idea that, that, that in life, I don't like the idea, but I think this is true, is we navigate through life with risk and fear all 
the time. And I want to tell you this, that the greatest investment risks that I have taken have first been challenged by my greatest fears. Does anybody relate to that? If I have achieved anything in life, it was first met with a certain level of fear. Has anybody heard of the Huffington Post? It's a news agency, Ariana Huffington. Before starting the Huffington Post, she was discouraged by naysayers. And when it comes to risk-taking, she has encouraged entrepreneurs to move past their fear of failure, saying this, failure is not the opposite of success. It is the stepping stone to success. For anyone who is an entrepreneur, that is perhaps the most important lesson. What is she saying? If you're going to risk it, you're going to navigate through a certain level of fear. Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks basketball, NBA basketball team, says this. While Cuban acknowledges that risk, is the article about him, Cuban acknowledged that risk-taking is a crucial component of launching a thriving business. His relationship with risk is an adversarial one, which he says, I hate risk and I'm terrified of it. When I read those quotes, it invoked two stories in my life. I remember back in the days when I drove a 1984 Toyota Corolla four-door hatchback. I remember a particular moment where I packed everything I owned into it, and I left the place of my childhood, and I went down the I-39 corridor driving towards Tulsa. Why? Because I was going to risk following the call that God had on my life. But let me tell you very clearly, in order for me to do that, I had to overcome the fear that I felt in that moment. Do you remember when you left for college? Do you remember when you left everything you knew to start a new fresh story or chapter in your life? Is anybody, do you remember that moment? I remember how scared I was. I got in that car, and I'm mad enough to say I wept all the way down I-39, particularly because I didn't realize how hot it was in Tulsa, and I had no air conditioning in that car. But it was a fearful moment. It was a moment that I will never forget, and I had to navigate through fear and risk, which brings me to the second story, and that was 21, 21 years Later, I've made a few different career changes or I've made different, um, uh, dis- different job opportunities and different schools and, and different shifts into, uh, into my life. And, and, and it leads me into the position I, I was in before I came here. And I remember so vividly navigating through risk and fear in that moment. But it was different. Because at that moment, I couldn't pack everything up into a 1984 Toyota Corolla hatchback. They had horrible struts in the back. It was amazing. I would go up to this, I would go up to stop signs and I would just tap the brakes and I'm literally just like, I was like just out of the Dr. Dre music videos. Man, it was like I had hydraulics and everybody knew it, you know what I'm saying? But I remember, I remember that moment just a few years back and the risk felt a little bit more severe. 
The fear was so evident because I wasn't just alone anymore. I had my family. My kids had their friends and my, kid, my kids had their school and we had our relationship. We were relationships so relationally rich and, and at that point, was I going to risk everything or was I gonna let, or was I gonna let fear take hold of me? I wanna to talk to you about fear and risks and, and I think we navigate through life really uh, with those two things in our two hands and, and I, I would just say this is when I'm talking about uh, risk and fear, I want to be a church that risks it. Can I hear an amen from somebody? I don't wanna be a church that just navigates through life with, with the next or the greatest fear in mind. Yes, I think we have to be observant of it, but yet I don't want it to take control. I want to be a church full of risk. I wanna be like the New Testament church. Over and over, we hear it in the narrative of the New Testament, Jesus looking at his disciples before they were even his disciples, and he would say things like this, come and follow me. And they did it. In the New Testament, it talks about the story of Jesus coming to fishers, and he said this, drop your net, leave your boats, leave everything you know, and follow me. This was the New Testament narrative of what it meant to risk it and navigate through fear. There's a man who came to Jesus one time, you know the story, if you've been around church for a while, as he came and said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus looked at this rich man and he said this, sell everything you own and come follow me and give it to the poor. Give your riches to the poor. And some people did it, and yet other people did not, because we all navigate through life with fear and risk. And here's the tension, because today what we're met with is this, we're met with the current climate. We're met in the current financial climate. You can, you can feel the fear in the air. You can just sense it. And many of us, we feel the financial pressures of inflation and the change of everything. We don't even know if we're gonna have a job next month. I mean, we, we, it just, we can just feel it. And, and within that current climate, I think few of us see opportunity. We just see the challenges in front of us. And not only are we met by the current climate, we're also met by our current culture. You know what our current culture sounds like? Me-centric. It's not, as, you know, it's not like good enough that, that we're feeling the pressures of the climate. We have to address our own culture that we live in, which is me-centric. And that's what I love about Echo Church is this, is we are a Jesus-centric church. Jesus is at the center. And I want to remind you that, that our life isn't just about us being in the center and everything revolves around it. No, we place our life into Jesus and Jesus revolves or we revolve around Jesus. So how do we, how, where do we go from here? How do we navigate between risk and fear? Professor Andy with his cardigan today is going to give you an acrostic. 
really, really kind of like leans into my teaching ability here, okay? You really know how good a teacher is and how many acrostics he uses per month, okay? So here's one. If we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, then what we need to do is first, when we're thinking of the word fear, is we need to find it. Many of us, instead of moving towards our fear, we, want, we run away from it. And I'm presenting this idea that maybe if we walk towards our fear, it would begin to reveal the opportunity that God has for our life. What did I say earlier? I believe your greatest opportunities are met with the challenges of your greatest fear. If we can articulate some of the greatest fears in our life, I believe God can begin to reveal the greatest opportunities that he has planned for you within the kingdom of God. So I must ask, I must ask you, what are you afraid of? Start there, find it, name it. And when you find it, let's do the second thing. Let's evaluate what we see. Let me say it like this again or in a different way. Let's value. Let's create a value system so then we can navigate between risk and fear. If there's a hinge point between it, I believe it is your values have you defined your values? And if you have, then guess what we can do? We can, we, can, we can realistically navigate through risk and fear the way that God wants us to move forward in and with. I guess the question I would go with the value system is what do you give credence to? You know what I'm saying? Like what legitimately has value and what does, or what has the forefront of your mind or, 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 or your actions? Uh, George Washington, I didn't quote him nearly enough during this series, so I thought I'd, I'd drop him a few times uh, during this portion of my message, but, but this is what he says, decision-making, this is an evaluating process. Decision-making, like coffee, needs cooling process, needs a cooling process. And everybody that has burnt your, your tongue or your lips, like, can I hear an amen? Uh, what I'd say with this is this is like, yeah, man, like find it. And brew on it a little bit. And then guess what you do? You evaluate it. And don't do, it, don't do the evaluation all by yourself. Like invite people to come into your life and, and give you good advice about what you're feeling God is calling you to do or how like, you want to risk it or what the fear is doing in your life that is pausing you from risking it. And then what you do is you arrange for change. I like how that sounds. Will you just say it just to, to, to make me feel better? Arrange for change. If we're going to navigate through fear to get to a place to risk it, we need to arrange for change. You know what that means? It's a simple turn from fear to risk. It's a direction. It's a pivot. I think a lot of us, what we like to do when we walk in life is we know what the risk is and we know what the fear is, but fear always gets our attention while we're navigating through life. And what I'm asking is, is this church to be a risk it church that we turn our back on fear and we begin to step towards the risk that God wants us to step into. George also says this, make sure you are doing what God wants you to do. Then do it with all of your strength. And we cannot do something to all of our ability and to all of our strength unless we turn away from the fear and we begin to trust who we are following. Arrange for change. And then what we do, we, we return to risk it. 
We go all in, as Scott told me this week, to sort of do something is the worst place to be. Matthew McConaughey's dad told him, he said, don't do something halfway. And what we don't want to do as Christians, as individuals, uh, we don't want to go through just, we just want to just go through the motions. And so what I'm, what I'm throwing out today is this, is can we be a church that exercises our risk muscles? Can we be a church that exercises our risk muscles? How do we do that? Well, we, we can do that in one or two ways. We can go to the edge of the cliff and we can jump or we can do it in calculated risks, in calculated form. And I think many of us, as I had challenged our perspective on the story, is we like to think that, that the, the, the uh, day laborer went and sold everything and then you know, kind of like you know, did this a few times and then all of a sudden he's now a landowner and he's got all that treasure. I would sense that that's probably not what he did, that it took some time. And, and I think when his followers of Jesus and we're, ex, we're becoming um, experts in risk-taking, we need to calculate the risk. How do you calculate risk? Well, what you have to do is calculate what you trust. You, if, you calcu- if you're calculating risks, then you have to calculate who you trust. I can tell you why it's easier for me today to risk it than it was yesterday because I have put my trust in the one who is trustable. I, I am so glad I met Jesus. I am so glad as, as Dexter and the band, which by the way, aren't they a phenomenal group? As, we were, as they were singing, as they were singing the blessing, you know, the only thing that would res- was resonating in my heart is how good God is. And if I want to calculate the risk I'm going to take, then I'm going to calculate the trust I have in Jesus and in God and how good he is. And so if God is with me, then guess what I can do? I can take steps of trust and calculate at risk that much more easier. And I believe to build trust, you have to participate in calculated trust or calculated tests. So this is how it goes. Calculated risk. Really the backbone of is calculated trust. And trust is created by calculated tests. One way to build the muscle of trusting Jesus and trusting God, trusting our good father in heaven is to test him with our wealth and our finances. I was going to be like, whoa, Andy, where, where are you going with this? Well, the beginning of Matthew, Jesus is in the wilderness and he is being tried and he is being tested by the enemy. And the enemy is playing with God's words and he's trying to motivate Jesus to make something happen when he's not supposed to. And Jesus responds to the enemy in the wilderness. He says, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. By Jesus saying that and doing that, he actually passed the test. You know what I'm saying? And so now you're like, Andy, but help me understand why you're telling me to test God financially. Well, it's because of Malachi 3.10. Or some of you might know it as Malachi 3.10. It says this, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. 
which tithe means 10% of your income, that there may be food in my house. And this is what God's word says. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. The only test that God wants us to give him is in the way of your wealth and in your finances. Jesus says, Jesus says this, I am not gonna test God in any way. The only thing that is okay is in what Malachi says and that is in our finances. So what I wanna teach and what I wanna tell you and what I wanna remind us today that is this is the biblical premise of, of, of trusting God, of testing God is this, is believing that God can do more with your 90 than you can do with yourself if you had it all or your 100. Did you hear that? You, you look in the mirror today. Are you testing God? Are you allowing him to prove himself faithful in your life by giving the 10% that he asks back? Or do we believe that we could do more? That we can accomplish more? That we can, we can risk it and, and we can win it if we just had control of it all? Or do we trust God that he can do more with our 90 than we can do with our own 100? So this is where I want kind to of, kind of throw it back at you. And this is how I think we should respond as a church as we are all testing God with our finances. We're entering into the Christmas season and we all have different levels of risk and I understand that, but there are some of you in this room that you have not bought into the idea of tithing, giving God 10% of your income. And I understand that. And so I just thought like maybe, maybe, maybe just someone in here, like I, I just wanna challenge you, I wanna encourage you to, to tithe for the very first time. And I know that's hard. I, I know that that's not easy. I mean, I, I am an eter I'm eternally grateful that my dad taught me to tithe at a very young age. In fact, one of my first job was, jobs was watching a golden retriever at my house, which, by the way, I almost killed one time. He was sitting there on the porch, and I accidentally pushed him or something, and he fell off a five- to six-foot-sized porch and landed on his side. But I still got paid. He lived. He lived. But when I received that $50 bill, my dad would, set, would sit me down and he would say this, son, now what do we give to God? And I'm so thankful that, the Lord, or that, that, that my dad taught me to give to the Lord at a very early age so I could be faithful and trust God with the little I had and navigate with a trusting father from that day forward, a heavenly father, knowing that guess what? I am just fine giving away what is God's. And in that same way, we, we as a staff got together and we thought, you know what, we, we want to teach the importance of generosity to our children. I know for my own children, I, I have three beautiful daughters. Uh, I do not want to give them or the disservice of not teaching them to be generous with their stuff and with their finances. So what we did is we, we, we came up with this kind of crazy idea that, that we would give you as parents to bring home with your children, to place in your home this opportunity to teach your children how to give. It says here on big change starts with little change. 
And I believe the little change that you teach your children to give can ultimately make an impact into the kingdom of God. And you know what we're going to do with these bricks and the money that, that your kids are going to bring in, your children? We're going to one day build a church upon what they gave. That's what we're going to do. And so I would just say this is, is for those that are at that level of giving and, and maybe you're not used to this type of message or, or you know, following Jesus is a new thing or you're new to faith is, is this, I would just say this, would you tithe for the next three months? And I would say this after three months, if you find no value in it or you don't have enough to pay your bills, then contact me and I will make sure you get your money back. I can just tell you, and I really mean this, and I, I, like I, f- I felt this tension during this series because, because I know you could hear this from me thinking like, all he wants is my money. He's just like the televangelist. I don't want your money. I don't really care. I mean, honestly, we are so satisfied. I'm so satisfied. I'm so happy with where we're, we're at with the church. I just want more for you. I understand the principle of giving and giving back to God. And I just want you to experience the trust and and, and the experience you get to have when you test God with your finances. For those that have tithed and you've done that, there's really two things that I would ask you to do. Number one, would you ask God what you should give by the end of the year? I want to say it like this is would we, could we by the end of the year just risk it and then give it? Would you just lean in, even in this service, at the end of service, when we're leaning in and letting the Holy Spirit speak and just kind of solidifying the message within our heart, would we just ask God, what is the number that I should give? What is the amount I should give by the end of the year? And, and, and maybe for some of you, maybe it, it correlates with what you're going to give to your family or your friends at Christmas. And maybe, maybe say, hey, what if I gave a little bit less and there was less gift exchange and I actually gave something to Jesus? Jesus this year because I understand he blessed me so I am going to bless him in return and beyond the end of the year I would just suggest this is maybe asking God what could I give in 2023 if I ask God to do a miracle I believe today that God's going to put a certain amount in, in families' hearts and minds, and you're going, to, you're going to sense that, and you're going to go, man, that is bigger than me. I don't think I can do it alone. But what if we test God and say, God, I'm going to trust that you show up financially and in my wealth and in, in my income. I just believe you are going to meet me where I am, that you are going to prove yourself to be faithful to me and bless me. Just wonder if some of us need to test God financially. And then the fourth one, this is maybe a little hard for me to do because I know what the ramifications are for you and how difficult this is for some of you. But some of you sense a calling of God in your life. You walked into this space and, and, and every time you walk into the church, you remember the days of old, maybe when the Lord was calling you into ministry or he was calling you into a, 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 a unique business opportunity. He was calling you to risk it in your own life. But, but, but for some reason, fear has a hold of you and it has stopped you. But I just sense that today in a very confirmational way that God is leaning in and trying to, 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 to convince some of you to risk it again. 
to sell everything you have and pursue the kingdom purpose in your life. I can't tell you what that is, but the Holy Spirit has already. And would we lean into his voice? Would we lean in and say, Lord, we can risk it again. And, and maybe for some of you, it is, it is a change of career. Maybe it's a change of values. Maybe if it's a change of pace and, and maybe it's a change of purpose and a direction. Maybe some of you need to go back to school. Maybe some of you got to get a second job. I don't know what it is, but God is just told, it is, I just feel like he placed in my heart to remind us that we are to be a church that risks it. So would you do that? Do you treasure the kingdom of heaven? Do you treasure the kingdom of God? Would we be people that are looking for that fine pearl, that we're looking for that opportunity, and would we be people that would risk it for the kingdom of God? Let's watch this video. Here's what I see. I see a nation like India where there are more people living below the poverty line than there are people in the United States altogether. I see a world where half the people are living on less than $2 a day while we sit here, every single one of us, filthy rich compared to the rest of the world. see a world where our dogs and our cats are eating better than our brothers and sisters in the Sudan. I see a world where last week alone 100,000 children died of hunger-related diseases. In addition to hundreds of thousands of others that were trafficked around the world for human sexual exploitation. And our biggest concern last week was how our football team played. And on top of all of that, thousands upon thousands of our brothers and sisters who are imprisoned and persecuted in China and Laos, North Korea and Saudi Arabia. In addition to over a billion people who haven't even heard the name of Jesus that's on our lips as we sing this morning, haven't even heard his name. I see all of that. And then I look back. I see so few of our churches risking everything for the mission. With the mammoth needs of a world without Christ in front of us, and the glory of Christ in us, and we faced two options. We can retreat from this mission into a land of religious formalism and wasted opportunity, or we can risk everything to fulfill the divine purpose for which we have been created. And I say, let's risk it all. Let me remind you that Jesus is in the dirty places and He's in the dangerous places and He's in the despised places. That's where He is. You go to Him, you follow Him, that's where you go, outside the camp. You don't sit back in comfort. You go to the need. You follow Jesus outside the camp. Are we going to die in our religion? Or die in our devotion? What if I told you your willingness to risk it 
might be how someone finds the pearl of great worth. What if I told you that your risk is worth it? Lord, I just sense that you are calling us to be people of calculated risk. And today, all across this room, I just ask that you would just, you would, you would give us calculated trust. And you would encourage us to pass the calculated test with our own finances. And yes, God, this message can feel a little bit me-centric, that if, that if I'm going to risk it, and, uh, then I'm going to gain trust. And, uh, and if I pass the test, this, I know, God, I think it's, 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 it's way more than this. It's, it's about us. It's about what you want to do in this world and in this kingdom. And so, God, I just ask that you would do your work within our hearts. You don't want our money. You want our hearts, Lord. You want the world's heart. The billion people who have never heard your name, you want their heart. You want them to experience the love of God as we have on a weekly basis, but have never experienced for, the very, for themselves. May you make us people of risk because we believe it will be worth it in Jesus name Martin Luther says this I have held many things in my hands and I've lost them all but whatever I have placed in God's hands I still possess will you stand up Every week we pray a prayer and it's a reminder of us putting our life in whole, not in part, into the loving, trusting hands of our Father and following Jesus there. Let us pray. Jesus, I surrender. I have more questions than answers, but I choose to follow you anyway. I acknowledge that you lived, you died, you rose again, all with us in mind. I accept the rescue that you offer. Save me and lead me in Jesus' name and his authority. Amen. The earth is groaning and we are longing for your kingdom to come. as one God let your kingdom come may your will be done God let your kingdom come God let your kingdom come may your will be done God let your kingdom come
I'm totally honest today, I kind of felt like I was punched in the stomach during the message today. And I think what, you know, I get a little longer to process some of these things, but I think what's really stuck out is that too often I'm worried about the number and I forget about the mission. Too often I'm worried about the maybe personal ramifications and I forget about the purpose. And so I just feel like today was a great reminder that the church doesn't, listen, I just say this, the church doesn't need your money. I just want to throw that out there. God's going to take care of the church the way he needs to take care of it. It's not about that, but it is about furthering God's mission. And it is about making a difference. And I think about the difference that God has made in my life. And I want to make that an opportunity for people here in Rochester, in the area and around the world. So when we as a church stand up here and say, hey, we want you to give 
it's not because of Echo Church. It's because we want to see life change in incredible, powerful, amazing ways. And we get to be a part of it. And I think that's amazing. And even though I feel a little guilty right now and I've been kind of processing this part, I'm also really excited because I think this will be a watershed moment for our church when we look in the future and we say, hey, remember when we decided to be a church that was faithful, willing to take risks and remember the vision? I think that's a cool thing. Now at Echo, we like to celebrate people. And so what I want to do is I want to celebrate those that are here for the very first time today. What's up? We're so glad you're here. If that's you, make sure you go to the info table. We've got a card for you. We'd love to just encourage you. We also love to celebrate those that said the prayer with us for the very first time. Come on, let's celebrate those people today. Echo, one last thing. When you leave today, right on the other side of this wall. So if you leave over here, you're going to the right. You leave over here, you're going to the left. Don't forget to grab these. Don't forget to take an opportunity to start our kids young and build a foundation of what's really important. We're going to bring them back on Christmas Eve. We're going to make a difference for the kingdom. Echo Church, we love you. We're so glad you're here. We can't wait to see you next week. Have a great week, everybody.